So we're talking about individuals becoming more like somebody. There was a fellow who started a business, and when he did uh, in the Netherlands, he started this business. He was looking because he said, okay, I need to have somebody to really help me get this business going. And like in most businesses, one of your key people is your used to be called a secretary or office manager, whatever you call it, office administrator. They're really key. And so he hired this one gal. She was phenomenal. She stayed with him multiple years. And uh, her daily thing was she'd come in earlier than any other employees, even before she was expected. But she asked if she could have a little bit longer lunch. And then when she would leave, she would come back after this little bit longer lunch, and she would be just a buzzing away again, just like going at it. Just this little break in the day would all of a sudden just renew her and refresh her. She finally came to a point of retirement. And when she retired, they were throwing a party. And so when she got to the party, actually there was two of her that nobody ever knew. They were identical twins. One would work the morning. The other one would come in and work the afternoon. Well, that explained where all of this energy came from. And nobody knew because they looked so much alike, acted so much like everything they did. It was so much alike that they were both be able to be in one job very successful as they lived together and worked together. You and I need to be like that. We're supposed to, be, according to Romans chapter 8, we're supposed to be coming more like Christ that people can't say, hey, wait, there's a big difference. Romans chapter 8, verse, one, uh, verse 28, 29. Let's jump there. And then we're going to jump to several different passages. So I, and, and by the way, if you don't, get the, if you don't have the notes, you want to get the notes because there's going to be lots of things where we're going to look up several passages that may be to your benefit. Uh, Romans chapter 8, it says, we know that, verse 28, we know this verse, we know that all things work together for... Okay, for good. To them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purpose. Now he tells us what that purpose is. He explains, okay, here's the purpose I called you to. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's not just the physical aspect of being like Christ in the resurrection body. This is to be, we're supposed to be like the master, more like him time and time and time again. And so we talked last week, <coughs> we said, what characters, what are some of the traits that we could uh, emulate? We should be working on becoming more like Christ. You said several, and I said, great, we're going to deal with some of those. But the one that I want to start off with was in holiness, in personal holiness holiness. We made these comments. We said that Jesus Christ was on earth very holy. You would agree with that, yes? Okay, we gave multiple different verses that in him there was no sin. He was tempted, yet, in, uh, yet never gave in. That even when he was on the cross, there was no guile. And so he's pure. We also made this observation last week. God wants us to become holy. Think of any verses that, that would say, What's that? This is a very simple one. I, I led up to it. Be ye holy as I am holy, or other times it says, because I'm the Lord your God. So in Leviticus, he told that to the Jews. That was their standard. Now, how they worked that out was a little bit different with part of the law. But they were to be holy, be a, a set-apart people. In the New Testament, he quotes that and makes the application. Be holy in all manner of conversation, like as he is holy. And then we look at passages that talk about this is the will of God, okay? God has not called us to uh, uncleanness but holiness. And this is, as we've made comment, the, even the will of God, even our holiness or our growth, our sanctification. So we talk about those. 
But we stopped here last week, and we were looking at multiple passages. I had them on the screen for sake of time. I didn't do it today. But can you remember any of these thoughts, or can you reflect back on any of these passages? Why is it hard for us to live a holy life? Okay, we have the sin nature. We still have a sin nature. Even though we're saved, we have a sin nature. That's that very first verse. Remember, this is the passage which Paul says, the things that I would, I don't do. The things I don't want to do. Yeah, okay. And he says, who shall deliver me from this body of of wickedness? Um, Ephesians 6. Oh, surely you remember this. There was a whole series preached recently out of Ephesians 6. The armor. Okay, so what did we, what's our observation? It was all about the armor of God. Why? Spiritual enemies, spiritual attacks. Okay, demonic cords are trying to get us to live unholy. Now, I don't think you, you might remember the text of the passage real quickly, but in 1 Timothy 4, he says, In the latter days, many shall depart from the truth, giving heed to seducing spirits, okay, and the doctrines of the demons. We made this observation that when people are taught wrong, they will live wrong. Bad belief leads to bad behavior. Creed always determines conduct. And so what people believe, that's what they do. And so in the end times, which we're, I think we're living in, that there's more corruption, there's going to be going right along with it, more corruption. We said that the world is spiritually corrupt. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Then he goes on, he talks about the world being corrupt. And in 2 Timothy 3, he says, in the latter days, know also that things will get worse and worse. Okay? That in the, the society is going to be more corrupt. And we would agree to that, would we not? That in our lifetime, have we seen a degeneration of society? Have we seen it in years now, high-paced? Okay. And so, First uh, Corinthians 3, we made this observation that one of the reasons that the Corinthians were struggling spiritually was petty arguments, petty division. Theirs was over who was their favorite preacher. But then as you read through the book, they had petty arguments about lots of things. Uh, who has the best gifts, you know, um, you know who owes me money. They, they had oh, a communion. They had petty differences in communion, uh, not being generous and charitable. Romans 13, we, it says, make no provision for the flesh, which is a challenge for all of us. And we made this point. The reason that we're not sensitive to doing this is we too often think we are blank than what we really are better, stronger, yeah, more mature. And then Romans 6, we, is, this is the passage that says, uh, to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his or its servants you will become. Okay, so we made all those comments. Now, let's pick up and go a little bit further. By the way, the first text we're headed for is the book of Leviticus. I think it's 19. So if you want to start headed there, we're going to be there in a few moments. Okay, Uh, other passages I'm going to throw up here on the wall. This is a quote talking about how Christians, we aren't as sensitive to sin. D. Martin uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, There's no doubt whatever that an inadequate view of sin is the chief cause of a lack of holiness and sanctification, and indeed of most of the false teaching with respect to sanctification. Bottom line is he's saying the reason we don't fear sin like we should is we don't recognize how bad it is. In our own lives, sometimes we just say it's not that Bad. Okay. And so, how bad is sin for the believer? You're, you're doing a Bible study with a young Christian. What are you going to tell them? 
Here's what happens when you sin. What's the negatives? It grieves God. Excellent. What else? How does it separate us from? Does it break our? Does it break our relationship with God? No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I threw the words there. It doesn't break our relationship, but it breaks our fellowship. Okay. Our closeness to Him. Absolutely. What else does it do? Can you think about the negatives? Does sin affect your prayer life? Yes? Okay. So let's throw up some ideas. Okay, you're doing this Bible study. You're dealing with a Christian. You want this baby Christian to know, or this Christian you're counseling. Okay? Do we get people today that will justify sin? Yeah, and what's their usual? Well, so-and-so did it, and they're okay. Okay, we, I run into this all the time. So you're dealing with somebody and you want to highlight to them certain things like you're going to say, you will blank what you blank. You will reap what you sow. Okay, how does that work? Okay, here he's, let's give you just thought. Mortify your members upon the earth, fornication, da-da-da. For which thing, things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. And if any see a brother sin, there's a sin unto death. What's that tell you about sin? What's God's viewpoint? What's that? It's worthy of death, even in the believer? Yes, because that 1 John 5 is talking about if a brother sins. Do you remember Hebrews 12? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Okay, can God, can a Christian come to a point that God might shorten their lifespan? Yeah, okay. So our observation is God punishes it. You reap what you sow. God will punish sin. And we think, well, we're a believer. I'll get away with it. No. God punishes sin, even in the believer's life. Here's another. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not hear me. How would you, how would you present this to somebody, this, the thought here? Sinning against God, even as a believer, it affects your prayer life. Okay? It breaks that fellowship with God where you're not able to, able to pray. as frequently and as fervently as possible. This is, uh, Joyce, you mentioned this one, okay, already. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of temptation. In other words, God is hurt emotionally by our sins, okay? It grieves him. Let's do this one. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it is finished brings forth death. We would say, man, it destroys life. It can can destroy a testimony, can you think of any believers in the Bible? They're believers, but their testimony, even generations later, we, have, we, we think of the negative. David, when? Um, several times. Yeah, okay. Bathsheba is probably one that we remember. And yet, what is David called? A man. But did his testimony get blemished? Okay. Can you think of anybody else? Born again, but their blemished testimony. Anybody? Okay, Saul. Which Saul? King Saul. Okay, we think negative of King Saul. And his sin wasn't a big sin. Where did it start off with? It's a small, petty emotion that grew. Okay, his was jealousy of David that just grew into to the point that he does what? He tries to kill him. Okay, can you think of another believer? You, you shot a name. Okay, is that a blemish then even years later? Yeah, it is. 
Yeah. Did moments, uh, did moments, moments. <laughs> did Moses have a blemish? Okay. The killing isn't the blemish that really affects him. But later, it, his anger issues. Okay. Um, his anger issue, it cost him big time. He wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. By the way, speaking of anger issues, did you see I'm going to start a new series just for this next few weeks? We're going to deal with emotions that cause us problems. I know it, it, this isn't for you. It's for everybody else. We're starting with anger. We're starting with getting a grip on anger. Uh, and, and it'll be more of a counseling type of presentation that we'll do. But the one, anger is just such a big issue. Um, can you think of other believers? How so? Oh, Jonah, you said, I thought you said John. I'm sorry. Jonah. Jonah has got a negative connotation. Does Lot have a negative? Yes? Okay. Was he a believer? Yeah, because we read in the New Testament, just justified, Lot was vexed in his spirit. So he was a born-again believer, but yet he had this, you know, this uh, impact. So here's the question I have, okay? And we're going to jump to different passages on the wall. But so why are we called saints if we're really not holy? Are we holy? Okay, now, now we, we're stumped. Okay, we're running into a wall. Are we holy or are we not holy? The answer to the question is... Yes. Yes. How can it be yes? Okay. What's that? Go ahead. Okay. Which one is it then? Not holy or holy? We're holy because of our relationship to God. Okay. Okay. Uh, what we're talking about, what he's referring to, are we holy already? You are a holy nation, a peculiar people. Okay. How, do, how does God get away, I'm, that's, I said that irreverently, how does the Bible get away with saying we're already holy? We are saints. Okay, okay, in the sense that we're, holiness means we're separated unto God, but in, the, in, the fa, in a sense, are we declared holy? Yes, yes. Now we're getting into deeper theology that judicially, Legally, before the court of heaven. You know how we picture you witness and you share the gospel. If you stood before God today and God should say, why should I let you into heaven? Your answer would be, what? Not your good works. Okay. But that's what most people would say. What would we as believers say? The blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus Christ. We've been justified. Justified. Judicially, this is called, if you remember, we talked about this in that Bible study series and foundations. This is positional holiness. What is your position? Okay, in that sense that, let's look at this passage. Okay, you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises. Is that future tense or is it a present reality? In the, in the first line. It's a present reality. Okay, think this through. You are already a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You're already a holy peoples is the word for nation. Okay? You are a holy people. Already declared that. So his point is it's a present reality. Now we know we will one day be 
like him as we see him. But right now, we are declared a holy people. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the Lord. What do you notice about the word sanctified? Past, present, future? Okay. You are sanctified. Again, it's a, it's a, actually in the original, it's a past work with a present outcome. You have been and you continue to be a sanctified people. Uh, now, Joyce, you may comment sanctified means set apart. Okay? It also has a connotation that you are not just set apart, but you are holy in that regard. It's done by somebody else, done by those who are, done because we are in Christ. The sanctification isn't our church, it isn't because of who we are, our gifts, our knowledge. It's because we are in Christ. And how do you get in Christ? You must be... Okay, you got that. Okay, you understand that. Okay, the same thing. This is what I find interesting. This same thing is done unto all, Paul says, who call upon the name of the Lord, who call upon Christ. Not just in certain areas or certain regions or in certain times. He makes sure that we understand this idea of being declared a sanctified holy people. This is for everyone... Every age, every town, every area, all who call upon Christ to be in Christ. Okay, let me, let's do another verse. Such were some of you, you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord. What do you notice about the verbs, the cleansing verbs, the, the cleaning up verbs? They're, they're all done. In the mind of God, are you already justified? Are you already glorified in the mind of God? Is it so certain in God's mind that it is going to be a reality? Yes. Yes. It is finished. Okay. That idea. Sanctification here is a present reality. Justified too, that is, it's a legal term. Legal term, that means what are you viewed as by the judge? That's where we're getting this term justified or justification. It is, what does the judge declare you? There's a little simple ditty that some put, just as if I'd never sinned. Just justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Have you sinned? Have we sinned? Yes. But what has God done with our sin? As far as the east is from the west, he has separate. Is that, is that because of us? Because of Christ. Okay, so we're talking about a legal situation. Legally being declared not guilty or pardoned. Okay, so that it's as if you're not being held accountable. You're not, you're not being held accountable because somebody else was. Jesus Christ. Done by somebody else, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit do this, resulted in great change. And I want you to just get this down pat. Okay, I know I'm, I'm going down into a, a depth part, but the word justification isn't the thing we just come up with. Theolog theologians don't just say, hey, let's just grab this word and throw it there. It is a biblical term that shows up frequently. This justified or declared just... Look at all the different verses in just the book of Romans, and then we jump to Galatians, that talk about you are justified. And remember in the book of Romans, the first three chapters, what do they talk about? Uh, I'll summarize it. For all have and come... Okay, the first three chapters are all about how sinful we are. 
Okay? And then all of a sudden he jumps into saying, but by one man sin entered into the world, by one man, okay, we are justified. And then he talks about the work of Jesus Christ, and then he highlights it to the readers, you have been justified. You are legally declared not guilty of your sin because Jesus Christ took your guilt. And so it's, it's an amazing thought that in the mind of God, we are justified, legally declared holy. And, you know, it's all, and again, all of the verbs here, it's all done, done by somebody else, but only because of Jesus Christ. Therefore, and then after he explains all that, and Paul says, but I still struggle with sin. I still battle with sin. Even though I'm justified, I still battle. And he says, but you're not condemned. You've been justified. God not only forgave your past sins, your, 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 future, your present sins and our future sins. That's amazing. I don't know about you. This was my battle in, in when I first got saved. I, I understood God forgave me all my past sins. But I struggled with my present sins. And whenever I would sin again, some of the same garbage, I would think, uh-oh, I lost it. Yeah, it's, and, and then I feared what would happen in the future. So this doctrine is not a doctrine that encourages sin, but discourages because Jesus paid for all of our sin. And so it's just a, it's a whole thing of grace that's just amazing. Okay, so um, anyway, we are not under the wrath of God, no condemnation, but them that believe not, the wrath of God abides on them, John chapter 3. So with that in mind, that's, just, that's positional holiness. So are we holy before God? Yes, we are, positionally. Where's the problem? Why, when I first asked this, are you holy? There was a hesitation. Because in reality, what are you thinking? We're still struggling. You're going, yeah, if I say I'm holy, my wife's going to say, you weren't real holy this morning. Okay, you know, when we held up in traffic, you know, type thing. So we, in, in theology, and we talked about this about two years ago, we talked about this idea, positional holiness or, what's the other one? This is practical holiness or, somebody, I think, started saying, okay, personal or, we're going to talk about this whole idea, it's called progressive sanctification, Okay, it's progressive holiness, and with that in mind, here's where we get it, okay? But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be holy as I'm holy. Okay, two times he says it. What's the command? Be holy. Okay, you be holy. And you say, but I already am. Which one, what's he talking about here? He's talking about the progressive. He's talking about your everyday holiness, because he says you need to do this in all manner of... The word conversation, which uh, I think it was you, you just said life. So the word conversation doesn't mean this, okay? In the King James, it means everything I do, not just speech. It's how I present myself, okay? So in all manner of conversation, reaction, attitude, um, you know, you, what I say, how I treat others, you name it, it's there. And so we have that idea, and here's what we want to run with. It's the duty and responsibility of all of us. Okay, Christ made me holy, but do I have a responsibility to contribute to my personal practical holiness, my progress each day? I do. 
You do too. Okay? So we have a participation in this. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. How do people abuse this verse? Can you, can you see how somebody would grab this and run with it and abuse it? Work salvation. Work salvation. Yeah, you've got to do something. Is that what it's talking about? No. What's he talking about? Works are a result of salvation. It's the idea of let what's inside work out. Okay. Are you born again in here? Do you have the Spirit of God in here? Let it yeah, let it shine, let it come out, however you do it. So we are to work out our salvation that is practiced and produced outwardly what, we have, what God has done inwardly. It is the duty of all believers, including you. Okay, And so this is to be done all the time, no matter who's with us. Because he makes the comment, as you have always, not in my presence only. It is easy to become holy in the presence of... Name a person. Not, not a name name, but a posi- somebody that... It's, it's easy for me to watch what I'm doing when the boss is looking. Other Christians are around. You're at church, okay? Your wife is there. Your mom is looking. Okay, it's easier to be... Ho- Grandma and Grandpa, who are very godly. Whew, I, I'm very careful what I say in their house. And he's saying, hey, this, should, this concern should be all the time, no matter who's around. Okay, excellent. But we need God's help and empowerment, for it is God which works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Okay. In other words, we can't do it in and of ourselves. We have responsibility, but we have the struggle. So we need the Lord's help all the way through. But let's make some observations about progressive sanctification. We want to become like Christ, but these are really, really important truths. Okay, really important truths. It's a process. It's a process to become more like Christ. Why is that important to tell somebody? Think of what can happen in their minds. They get saved, they want to act like Christ, and they don't. Why do they need to know this is a process? What's that? They'd give up? Okay. Do you think, you think that would happen to young Christians? That they would say, oh, what's the use? Yeah, I just keep... It's a process. It is going to last for how long? Okay. I wish I had patience yesterday. Uh, I wish I would be, you know, the perfect whatever. But it's going to, we're going to keep on growing. It requires teamwork between you and God. Okay? You can't do it in and of yourselves. And God won't force you. Okay? You have responsibility. But you're going to have to work day after day. It has to become... This is critical in our circles. You, you, you can understand why in a moment. It has to be growing from the inside out. Okay? You got a baby Christian. The baby Christian doesn't look like a Christian. Okay? Can I share your appearance? <laughs> I need a good illustration. I need a good illustration. I put you on the spot. So she had a dress-up day at work this week. And she stopped here on the way home from work to take care of some, give, you know, give us some direction on something that she was dealing with. And she got out of the car, and Tony and I are standing there going, who's that? 
And there's this long blonde wig, psychedelic, hot pink. I mean, it was like you could see her miles away. And I said, what an outfit. And he, Tony said, I've never seen her like that. And she's walking up to the building. I said, there's so much I want to say about her. Better not say it. Maybe she likes it. Maybe this is a real outfit. And Tony said, I think she's looking like a hippie, a flower child. Yeah. And so she came in, and we're high, and we're kind of reserved. How do we say something to Deb like, boy, do you look weird? Yeah. And finally she came up, and she says, we had this dress-up day at work, and I didn't take time. And it was like, we thought this outfit was really, you know, was this the new Deb coming to church? And so we were teasing you. You should wear that to the fellowship on, on Friday night. And you said, because people would see me. So I'm telling everybody, okay? <laughs> Actually, she said, Scott would be so embarrassed if I went out in public this way. That was it. That was, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Scott would never let me out of the house this way. But she was in church, okay, uh, walking around. So I don't know where I was going with this story, Okay. <laughs> I know where it was. Okay. So we get a Deb Harner coming in looking like this. Looks like, for real, the flower child. Okay. And living that lifestyle. What do we often, to get them holy, what do we often focus on? The outward appearance. What would we tell her to do? Change your clothes. More, yeah, she was pretty modest, but it was just wild, okay? <laughs> just more reserved, more conservative, okay? And, um, cause she, I mean, she had the band on, the whole thing. And we would, we would, we in our circles, we typically focus on the outside, okay? And it is, is there, uh, is there concern on how we look on the outside? Should there be concern? Okay, there's to a point, we should be. Does God express concern about how we look on the outside with clothing? He does. In 1 Timothy, he writes and he says, Woman, attire yourself with modest apparel. And he goes on and talks about it. Um, anyway, but what's, what's the more lasting area that we should be dealing with? The inside, because what's on the inside comes out. Yeah, it reflects, the, it comes out. So when we're talking about progressive... You and I, it is easy for us, uh, uh, you, you may comment, it's easy to live, easier to live holy here than it is out there. So sometimes when we're addressing our holiness issues, our struggles, we are very careful here. Okay? But that shouldn't be just here, it should be outside. So if if we're concerned about our speech, we should be concerned about our speech. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that whole idea. It's, um, if there isn't progression, isn't there, if there isn't improvement, then wh- which way are we going? If you're not going up, you're, go- you're going down. Okay. So we've got to be constantly growing in these areas because if we're not growing, then we're slipping back. The other one is, this is very, very important. Don't expect or demand immediate or extensive sanctification, even of yourselves. Now, here's the danger for me when I say this. Then I might sit there and foolishly say, so why get upset if I lose my temper again? It's going to be a process. 
Can we excuse by abusing this last statement? Yeah. But what we need to do is say, wait a minute, it's a process, and I have to recognize it's a process. What if I lost my temper again? It's wrong. I need to confess it, but I don't want to... You were saying it. I don't want to quit. Okay. A righteous man does what? Falls seven times, but does what? Gets back up. Gets back up. And um, maybe, maybe I'm just the weird duck here. I remember as a teenager when I first got saved, language, the issue of cussing, was, it was such a part of my life I didn't even know I was doing it. Have you run into people like that? They don't even realize the, the profanity that's coming out of their mouth. And for me, that was a real issue. Say, I've got to, work, I've got to really work at stop using the Lord's name in vain. And it was like, oh, I did it again. Oh, I did it again. But it's a progression. And you know what's amazing is once you get over one, there's another one. There's something else, okay? It, it, you just have to grow and grow and grow. By the way, Deb, thank you so much for your contribution this morning. Okay, I appreciate your spirit. She is going to pray imprecatory prayers against me from here in the future. Failure never needs to be final. Here, let's do this. Okay, being holy. Um, can we be as holy as God is holy? No, not in this sense. We'll never be eternally, completely perfect like God is. But yes, we can be holy in the sense of we're legally declared holy. And as well, we want to become holier. So this be holy, or this question we should be asking is this, am I able to be holier than I am now? Okay, and that's where we want to go. So redirect the people's questions. So is it possible to become holier and holier? Yes, and you don't have to go and join a monastery. You don't have to become a monk or a monkette, okay? You, you, you can become holy in your everyday life. So here's my question for you, and this is, and I, I'm not getting as far as I wanted to, but this is really important. So we're sitting here, we're talking about holiness, and somebody could be sitting here, say somebody who's here for the first time or a second time, and this is all new to them, and they might be thinking in their minds, but you don't know what I'm struggling with. I am struggling with, whoa. And if they told us, we might go, whoa. Okay? So, for just a second here, can you name some of those, whoa, types of issues people struggle with? That they may say, there's no way I'm going to get holy. There's no way I can overcome it. It is so massive in my life. Can you think of some, people, some, some things people struggle with that are massive? An addiction. An addiction to substance. Okay. Can addiction to um, spending money, can that happen? I mean, do some people, do they binge spending? Okay. Don't look at your, your, your partner, Okay. Hey, you, you said an addiction, what is one that's real popular now? Pornography. Pornography. And it's so easy. It is so easy. I'm telling you, parents with, with high school and junior high kids, it is the predominant issue right now with, with young people. You have got to create accountability. And there's a whole dark web out there that the kids know they can get away and with, with stuff. But it is massive because it is so 
easy to get to a site. So easy. And it's just growing by leaps and bounds. It is, it is, it is the issue. So you're talking with somebody who's dealing with something like that. And um, they're struggling with it. What do you tell them? How do you encourage that person? So let, let's do this. Let's pick some passages, okay? And you know what? I'm, I'm going to get this. This is before Leviticus. I'm going to give you several passages that I want you just to look at real quickly, okay? These passages all contain something hopeful and helpful that you need to help. And the, these would be worth putting in the flyleaf of your Bible, okay? You're talking with somebody who is just overwhelmed by their, their struggle. And they say, well, I'll never do it. So we head to 1 Corinthians, and you want to show something out of this text that would give them help and hope, that they can keep growing. Remember, we just said, progressive sanctification, failure is not the end. Do you remember that statement? Yes? Okay, they're going to fall. How, what, what do you show them out of this passage that may be helpful for them? 1 Corinthians 6, starting with verse 9. Know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, adulterers, adulterers, effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, no! That's me! I still do some of that stuff after I'm saved. Such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, all things are not expedient, all things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. What, what phrase? Phrases, words. Would you show them to give them hope? Well, go ahead. Say it again. Okay, you're in verse 10? 11, verse 11. All of, all of the verbs... All of the verbs are idea of past tense with the idea that God is working. In fact, I want to step, I want to phrase it a little bit further. I read up to verse 12 as well. I will not be brought into the power of any. Okay, there is that hope and help that we can overcome. Okay, anybody have anything else? That was the main thought I had as well, Julie. Let's jump to Romans 6. Romans 6, and you're going to show something or things out of this passage. Romans 6, starting with verse 6 and 7 and 13. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 13, neither yield yourselves members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Any phrase or word that you say, this would be helpful to share with somebody who feels defeated. Want to take a shot at it, anybody? What's that? Okay. Knowing this, our old man is crucified, that the body of sin, that, you, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Okay? The next, verse. the next verse. He that is dead is freed. Okay? There's another, yeah, they're, they're looking a little bit earlier in the verse. Okay? What do you see about sin? What has happened to sin? Okay, it shouldn't have dominion. That the body of sin might be... What's your Bible read? 
What's that? Done away with? What did somebody say? Destroyed? Okay. So you have this idea that this body of sin does not have to captivate. It's been weakened. It's been annihilated to some degree. And so we're freed from sin, instruments of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter uh, 2. 2. Verse 14, sorry. Hebrews 2. And again, I hope I'm not boring you. This is just so much, this is information that is so helpful for you to deal with other believers and possibly even yourself. In Hebrews chapter 2, he makes this comment starting with verse 14, 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same. Who is the he that took part of the same? Christ. Okay, good. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What phrase or phrases? They're a new Christian. What, what hope and help do they have? Go ahead. It's the past tense. Okay. That word, and I already hit it up here, the word destroyed the devil. The word literally, you may want to write this in here. It's not that he annihilated the devil, because is the devil still a problem? Is the Satan still around? Okay. There are some theologies that teach Satan is already bound. He's not here anymore. All I want to say to them is go to D.C. Okay. Go to the inner cities. Okay. Um, the word destroyed does not mean annihilated. It means render powerless. In other words, take the teeth out of the roaring lion. And so in that sense, Christ has put Satan in a spot where he, can't, he doesn't have to have victories anymore. We go a little bit further. Jesus delivers them who were subject all their lifetime to bondage. If somebody is subject to an addiction, this is a key verse. That Christ delivers them, especially them, who were subject all their lifetime to some type of bondage. This is a just powerful verse for them. And then Hebrews 2, you're close by. Hebrews 2, verse 18, we jump down. For in that he himself has suffered, uh, that hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Who is the he that was suffering temptation? It's Christ. What does he do for those who are suffering temptation? Yeah, it says he succors them. The word succor is an old word. What's it mean? Yeah, runs to the cry, literally. Runs to the cry. It's the, we've illustrated, it's the parent who when you hear the baby, the little kid crying at night, okay, you run to help him out. You don't do what I do or did. I would, wake up, Deb, wake up. Okay, the point was somebody needs to go. And so Christ runs to the, to the assistance. These are, these are powerful verses for people who are struggling with, with something in their life. Just make sure you help them. And then John 14. Do you remember the situation of John 14? John 14, what does Jesus promise? If I go not away, well, actually, if I go away, I will send... Okay, another comforter. What's the word comforter mean? Do you remember what the word... Yeah, it means to come beside with help. Paraclesis. It's the idea of come right there, and they're going to be right there. They're going to, they're going to be the one that's going to give you the support. 
And so he talks about that. He talks about giving another comforter. And we all know, Aaron, I think you said it, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that comes, okay? Now, with that in mind, what does Romans 8 tell us about the working of the Spirit that is in every single one of the believers? Romans chapter 8, verse 13, he makes this comment where he says... For if we live after the flesh, we're going to die. But if we through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live. The Spirit gives us the assistance to mortify our flesh, to have victory over our flesh. So we have that idea. We have the Spirit. He helps us to deal with our sinful tendencies. John chapter, chapter 17, Jesus is praying, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Okay, or the truth, I, yeah. So giving, he gives us the word of God, and then in Romans 8, Christ is at the right hand of God making intercession for us. So you take all these verses, plug them in, and you have this idea of, okay, somebody who is struggling, there's help. Okay? And, and can, can I throw this? Now, we can be their help too. You can, you can help be accountable. But what happens if you're not available? What if, what if they can't reach you? Okay, all these verses are very, very potent, very, very powerful. So we've talked about all those things, and now let's get into the real practical. That's all the theology. Now let's get into practical living, okay? Is there in scriptures any specific, I struggle with that word, so is there any specific actions or attitudes that we must put off to become holier? Are there any specified Actions, reactions, words. Okay, we're not to make provision. That's big. And that's, that's a truism that we want to operate by. Is there any specific, you know, something stated in Scripture that this, get this out of your life? You know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking very specific. What's that? Put off lying. But let your, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's just talk about it for this week and then we'll pick up next week. There are several passages in Scripture that they give a grocery list, okay, of specific things. People don't like grocery lists when it comes to Scripture. It's like, wow, the Bible doesn't say something specific. But it does in this regard. There are some passages where he says, I don't want you, I want you to be holy like I am holy. Therefore, and he gives, he points out some common, frequent activities or actions. We can call them vices. Vices and virtues is going to be what we're talking about. Where he says specifically, I don't want this in your life. So now we're back to Leviticus 19, where I had you just moments ago. And back in Leviticus 19, he's talking to the people. And if you put it in its context... The very next verse, right after he gives this grocery list, he says, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy. I am your, the Lord your God. Be holy as I am holy is the concept. So what things did he tell the Jews back in the law, which, by the way, most every single one of these are repeated in the New Testament, but just to get an idea, does God have specifics he wants out of our lives? So you're turning there. And let's just, walk, let's just walk through the different verses that are up there. What thing, what vice does God say, out, not tolerate? We're starting with verse 4. What do you got? Idols. Okay. Any type of idol. What's an idol? Something that people worship. What's that? Okay. Okay. 
Can an idol be a statue? Whoops, that step just moved. Can a statue statue or a person become an idol? Can a, a job become an idol? Thank you. Okay. Can things become beyond just the... Can they become an idol? In the New Testament, Colossians 4, he says, put away covetousness, which is idolatry. What's he mean by that? Joyce, I think you were giving a definition. Anything that, what'd you say? Okay, anything that basically takes your focus off of God. Anything that, it could be a job, it could be drawing you away from God. You're putting in, you know, we're supposed to love the Lord thy God with all our... Okay, is there something there that has pushed you? When you were kids, did you ever play King on the Hill? Yes, no? Okay, we in snowbanks in Minnesota. So remember, Minnesota has two seasons. Winter and July 4th. And so we had lots of snowbanks, and our big thing was king on the hill on the snowbanks. You know, whoever's going to get up there, and what's the problem? You, you knock them down, you get there for two seconds, and somebody comes from behind and knocks you down. Okay, but it's a fight to get to the top. In your own heart, there's this snowbank that things are trying to get to the top. And you and I are saying king of the hill should be Christ. But what things do you, do you battle with? And they're not bad things. It could be money, cars, houses, family. It could be, you know, you name it. It's a battle. But he says idolatry. What would you get out of verse 11? Let's get it specific. Stealing. Okay. So he's got stealing, cheating, lying. Those are specifics out. What do you got in verse 12? How's he saying? You shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shall you profane the name of the Lord thy God. Okay? Dishonest or profane use of the name of the Lord. By, by the way, just if you're not in our Wednesday Bible studies, we've been talking about this out of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he says, You have heard it said, but I say unto you, let your nay be and your yes be. But what did they do? They had a thing set up where if I swear, and I'm going to be goofy with this one, if I swear by the church building that I will da-da-da-da-da-da, you couldn't hold me to that. If I swear by the cross on the church building, now you can hold me to it. In the Jewish system, they had it all set up. You could qualify if you swear by the throne of heaven. They couldn't hold you to it. If I swear by the God who sits upon the throne of heaven, now you could hold me to it. So they had all these points where you could make a promise and you never... You never it, it's like little kids, yeah, type thing. And so here in this passage, that's what he's dealing with. In the Old Testament nations, they had ways of making commitments where you never intended to. So you're swearing in the name of the Lord falsely. And uh, that's what he's talking about. And the bottom line is God wants us to be honest people. Okay. What would you get out of verse 13? What's that? Don't cheat. Okay. Where he's talking about the idea of the weights and balances. Let's pick up next week. Let's stop right there.